It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Great guest right now. We have uh, with us Dr. Stephen C. Hayes. He's the author of two books, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, the new acceptance and commitment therapy, very popular, and act for clergy and pastoral counselors using acceptance and commitment therapy to bridge psychological and spiritual care. We're in for a treat. Welcome to the program. I'm very happy to be with you. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Yeah, there are a lot of people suffering out there, no doubt. Of course, you know that. And uh, But this is, it says here, learn step-by-step step how mindfulness and acceptance can help you. You can overcome depression, transform emotional pain, free yourself from negative thinking and self-judgment, and commit to what you care about. Live a life you value. So hard for a lot of us, no matter you know what age. And so, uh, where do we begin? Which book would you like to tackle first? Well, you know, the one that's most relevant to, to most individuals is probably uh, get out of your mind. But uh, if, if people are uh, doing spiritual care work, uh, the other one is very important, too. So uh, <laughs> either way, we you know the pastors need help uh, as well. But let's start with um, get out of your mind and into yeah. your life. So and this is a very popular book. And, uh, you know, people can use this sometimes. Sometimes therapists, you know, they tell you something goes one ear out the other. Uh, this is a workbook to help. And so uh, how do you feel this book helps people? Well, you know, what the act work does is that instead of having a kind of one size fits all, here's what you need to do, it really breaks things down into a small number of processes that turns out just are helpful to people in dealing with the problems, but also promoting their own pr prosperity. And, you know, it's based on a mountain of research. I'm sorry for the self-praise. It's not really my work. It's the work of the community. But you know, almost 2,000 studies that have looked at 
these processes of change. So all I mean by processes of change is what are the sequences that actually lead you from where you are right now to where you want to go? And it turns out there's a lot of cul-de-sacs on that journey. And if you just trust the, the kind of the dictator within that can tell you to do things that are harmful and sort of get you to buy into grabbing for the smaller, sooner thing rather than larger, later thing. And next thing you know, you have an addiction problem or you're stuck in an anxiety struggle or depression is overtaking you. But not just that, you're, you, you're not prospering. You're not being there for your kids and for the people that you love and, you know, having fun uh, and being able to make contributions. So, uh, you know, the, there's a, a pile of self-help books in the ACT area, but this one was the first, really, and uh, went all the way up to number 20 on the Amazon least list wow. and one glorious week beat Harry Potter. So wow. I have the screenshot proving it. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good. That's my uh, sister-in-law says, uh, yeah, but that didn't last very long, and I say, doesn't my bank account know it? But uh, <laughs> uh, You're actually world-class, and people know about you. you actually, you're, you're very humble. We're going to talk about some of your accolades in just a minute. What is the problem here? Why can't people? Well, yeah. I, I think the core of the problem is that we get into thinking of our lives as a problem to be solved rather than a process to be experienced. Hmm. And, you know, and there are different modes of mind that we can bring to things. We all have this. So really, when you go through the act work, there's a deep resonance because it's in our spiritual and religious traditions. It's in our cultural traditions. But not just that. It's in our experience. We, we actually know some of these things. But the, you know, the organ between our ears doesn't necessarily know it. And so do you want to treat your own life a, a, the way you might treat a math problem or the way you might treat a sunset? And these are very different modes of mind, and we're feeding this problem-solving mode of mind with an exposure to, to pain, with an exposure to judgment that's coming from our, our social media and from uh, just what's happened with science and uh, technology. You know, if anything bad happens around the world, we know within minutes we can see it live. You know, our newscasts or shoutcasts, all that penetrates us, and we start treating ourselves that way. Hmm. Well, here's the problem. They create it creates strange loops. And if I can give you an example, yes, I'm a person that has a history of panic disorder. That's how I went in this direction. And if, if you experience high levels of anxiety and then treat it as a problem to be solved or else because it would lead to bad things just like it did in the past, might be even worse than the future, well, how do you think you're going to respond to that? You're going to respond anxiously to that. Something bad might be about to happen. Guess what? Now, now that's an input that you're going to now try to solve that problem by th threats and concerns and, oh, what am I going to do? And I have to do something. This is, well, then you're going to respond even more anxiously. And on and on it goes. It, it, it feeds itself. And the same yeah. thing happens with depression. Same things happen with substance abuse. I mean, if you look at how our lives unfold in ways that put, take us in the wrong direction, it's not that people are deliberately trying to go there. They're doing things that in the short term look as though they take you in a positive direction. You know, when I, for example, height of my anxiety disorder issues, if I turn down an offer to do what we're doing right now, to have, talk to people in ways that, yeah, if, if I got real panically right now, you wouldn't be hearing very much through this microphone. Uh, you know, if I turn it down, I feel immediately, oh, that, that's better. You know, uh, 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 yeah, but how about the next day? Uh, I'm going to have to turn that one down too. Mm -hmm. And it just grows and grows and grows. So, 
when we know the processes that lead to human liberation and they're out there, I mean, we've been, I mean, it's not like new, it's thousands of years old wisdom, but figure out how to apply it in the modern world where things go really fast and where you're constantly being told that if you just have the right car, if you just have the right spouse, everything will be happy, if you have enough money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or yes. <laughs> you know, you're constantly being exposed to things that are hard for people, you know, you end up with what we are ending up with, which is our mental health problems are going up, not down, among the youth especially. I mean, if you really want to sober yourself, I mean, look at uh, what's happening with our 18, 19, 20-year-olds. You know, what is normal now would have been abnormal just 30 years ago. And that's not just because they're answering questions differently. I mean, even things like suicide rates and so forth. So something's amiss, and we need to help uh, create modern minds for this modern world. And um, that's what I'm up to is digging down to what those processes are so that it's not a one size fits all solution. It's not some new, you know, thing you have to buy into, but you begin to watch your own life with a sense of openness, curiosity, and being able to apply what works mm. uh, to the challenges that you face. So the short version is, <laughs> people feel, yeah. people you're feel only going to get in three questions <laughs> people feel trapped in their own brain i mean they either feel trapped you know and they do that they, yeah this is the way to, to fight it you talk about the problem with pain psychological pain hurts you say by definition but it does more than that often pain holds you back from living the kind of life you want there's no question about that a person with a panic disorder would rather not experience the feeling of extreme fear because it is so unpleasant as you said but that discomfort is compounded by the fact that the panic seemingly gets in the way of living itself. And there lies the problem, you know, living your life. And so uh, have you seen great transformation and people use your book, they go through the process, again, get out of your mind and into your life, the new acceptance and commitment therapy. Uh, what begins to happen? Well, what begins to happen first is people begin to get a little more comfortable inside their own skin, ironically, by instead of winning the war, uh, walking off the field of battle. I mean, instead of getting into a fist fight with your own thoughts, feelings, memories, and bodily sensations, mm -hmm. can we look at them the way you might look at a, a quarreling first graders? Maybe there's a, something in there that's worth listening to, but very often, you know, you extract what's in there and then you move on. You don't try to negotiate the argument. Uh, between the first graders, and you, you're going to waste a lot of time. And in the same way, uh, if we can open up a window into a form of peace of mind that comes, when you begin to look at your own experience with a sense of openness and with, uh, I call it dispassionate curiosity, like there my mind goes. So look at that. And of course, it has a history. Sometimes you know that history. You know why you're starting to worry or feel uncomfortable. That's not your enemy, that's, that's your feelers. Mm. And if you don't do that, you can easily do things that your gut tell you, say, no, your mind says, oh, no, that'd be so great. You know, I'll make this money or she's so attractive or whatever. And you've got this other sense of, no, that, that, that isn't the path for me. You've got to be able to listen to that. And so uh, this kind of a peace of mind that comes from openness and then being able to direct your attention from this conscious or more spiritual part of yourself towards what you really care about. And so it's not being constantly pulled 
towards what you want to get rid of, which only amplifies its role in your life, but instead moves your attention, not suppressively, not to get away from your history, but just to remember that your life is unfolding. You know, what do you want to put in your moments here on the planet? What do you want to reflect? What do you want to be about? What are the qualities of being and doing that are important to you, that are there in your heroes, that are there in uh, those sweet moments you have, but are there also in those painful moments? Because the flip side of hurt is caring. That's we right. hurt where we care, and we care where we hurt. So if we push the hurt away, we also push away a big source of information about what we deeply really want. So as we move our attention towards that, now we can get our feet kind of linked to our caring instead of uh, to our running away. And that combination of being open, aware, and actively engaged, that combination is helpful anywhere that a human mind goes, whether it's running your business or, you know, keeping your relationships right or dealing with anxiety, depression, substance abuse, all those kinds of things. Or even other things. I mean, there's people following the Actogenian agenda and winning gold medals at the Olympics. And, uh, you know, and that's not just fantasy. We've done the, the randomized trials of controlled studies to show that these are liberation processes. And frankly, they've been there for thousands of years. They're, as I may say, they're in our spiritual and wisdom traditions, but they get buried over in the modern world and all of its materialism, avoidance, judgment and uh, things that feed the, the worst parts of us. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned the judgment part. How do we get there? I mean, you know, our, our own worst critic. How how terrible. Like you said, we're here for short days, you know, and you want to get the most out of life. And here we are being our own worst critic, not the other person, but us. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. And be careful because, you know, that thing where you start settling into, we all have it within, of this kind of judgmental stream towards others. Well, that little wagging finger turns around and starts wagging right at you. And that's an empirical fact. If you, are, if you climb into judgment and you start taking it this, in this kind of harsh, non-compassionate way, uh, it rebounds on you and you treat yourself the same way. And guess mm -hmm. what? You start feeling very small and you cover that up with the kind of pretense or with the immediate self-soothing of avoidance, materialism, and other things, and then you pay the costs in even more misery. So, mm -hmm. what we need to do is let is is sometimes judgment is helpful. When is it helpful? It's helpful when problem solving applies. If I'm, you know, fixing my car, I need to be able to properly apply judgment to that. This part is broken. That one is still working. That one needs to be replaced. That one needs to be adjusted. That's If I'm doing my taxes, the same thing. If I'm seeking peace of mind or love or compassion, uh, that's exactly what you need not to do. Fortunately, we have within us uh, a lot of wisdom and within our, our cultural traditions. And actually, I, I think I could show that to listeners in a in about two minutes, if you, if you give me the time. Two minutes, of course. <laughs> That's why we had you on. I'm glad. And, and by the way, just so our audience knows, you know, just who we're talking to, I found the stat here. In 1992, okay, Dr. Stephen Hayes, 
Uh, he was uh, listed by the Institute of Scientific uh, Information as the 30th highest impact psychologist in the world. And scholar Google Scholar data ranks him among the top 1,500 most cited scholars in all areas of study, living, and, uh, and uh, what's it, dead? Oh, yeah, that's right, true. living and dead. Not your dead. It's oh, living I'm still dead. living. <laughs> but, you know, I find that people are, who are very accomplished, it's better for me to say, you know, you don't uh, tend to, to, um, to dwell on it, but I will. And so go ahead. Uh, your two minutes uh, are now. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two versions I'm gonna, and see if I go to two versions in two minutes. <laughs> Pick an issue that's old and you really uh, suffer with. Put your body in a posture of you at your worst with that issue. Nobody's looking. You can do it. Uh, literally physically put yourself in a posture that if I were to go walk through a sculpture garden and would see that as a sculpture, I'd have a little bit idea of what's going on inside that person. Now do the same thing with your best with that issue or one's just like it because every day is not the same. We have asked hundreds of people around the world, doesn't matter what culture this, and what happens when you at your worst is your head goes down, your eyes close, your arms come in, you sort of go into a fetal position or your fists clench, you go up, you're in a fighting position or you run. What they're telling you is you at your worst is to, to hide, to defend, to fight, to flee. Conversely, you at your best, your head comes up, your eyes open, your arms go out, you might even stand up. Well, what would you have to do psychologically to be like that with yourself instead of in this fetal position with yourself? Turns out you know something about how to do it, but your mind's going to take you back into that fight, flee, or hide posture over and over and over again. And the, the second version, think of somebody who really profoundly lifted you up in your life, a coach, a therapist, a spouse, a sibling. I'm going to ask you a question. A series of questions really quickly. Did you feel profoundly accepted for who you are by that person? Were you constantly judged or was judgment kind of far away? When you were together, could you be together or was a person looking at their watch? When you looked at each other, were you aware there's two conscious human beings here together? And would that person uh, respect what you deeply care about or would they e easily ride over what you care about without a second thought? Could you be together in ways that fit the situation, or was it always one way, my way, or the highway? Those six questions are the questions that we orient towards what we call the psychological flexibility processes. And what it says is, as you are lifted up by acceptance, non-judgment, conscious presence in the moment that is values-based and puts your behavior linked to what you care about, well, do that with yourself. Do that with yourself. You've got your guides within you. You can remember them. I mean, whether you know it's a, a therapist, a coach, a spiritual leader, you've got them within. Just use the wisdom within that's there right in your body if you show me you at your worst and your best and build your life around that, and it'll start opening up. But if you build it around the other, it'll start closing down. Simple choice. It's your choice. It's your behavior. It's your life. And uh, you may need some help, but you don't. You know, it's, you're, you're just doing what humans do if you're struggling. And, um, you know, get out of your own way. Get out of your mind, into your life. Get out of your own way, and uh, you can move forward.
that was amazing. I want to ask you something. What what gets in the way, though, from people successfully, you know, because this has all kinds of great information. Once again, get out of your mind and into your life. The new acceptance and commitment therapy by our special guest, Dr. Stephen C. Hayes. But uh, what are some of the things people have to be careful, uh, roadblocks that uh, they may not finish all the way? It's a big workbook. And so uh, and how can they be sure that they will give themselves the best chance to, to get through this program safely, uh, securely and, uh, you know. Well, that's, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. I tell people to do this. Skim the whole book fast. Do it in a day. Don't do the exercise. Just skim it. Put it aside. It, and then over the next two or three days, if it kind of speaks to you, you know, kind of like whispers to you, go back and do it seriously. Read it slowly. Do all the exercises. If you bog down, skip an exercise, but come back later and do it. And you can get help on, online, free. Uh, there's a Yahoo group called Act for the Public. Really wise people who come in struggling like crazy, but you watch them over months and years, and man, they turn into such wise helpers. That's thousands of people working together on this listserv, and that's just one of several. There's Facebook ones, etc. And so, get, you know, get the assistance and help that you need. Course therapy, if you re, if you really are struggling, I'm not saying a book and uh, you know peer support is enough. People are really in a down and dirty mental health struggle, but um, so walk through it. And if, if you know. If you're asking, like, where do you tend to stumble? Yes. No, where you tend to stumble is that the 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 voice within this problem solving mode uh, will take even your successes in being able to open up from just the problem solving mode of mind to the sunset mode of mind and claim the territory for itself. It'll say, "Oh, see there, when you just opened up that anxiety struggle." You know, you started not feeling so much anxiety. So I got a good idea. You don't like anxiety, do you? You can get rid of it. You can get rid of anxiety. All you got to do is say, I'm open to anxiety. And then it'll go away. And then, you know, and there you are right back at the same thing. So, <laughs> you know, I have to remind my students when I'm working on this model, teach them how to do this as therapy. I actually literally will say to them, because I'm a geek scientist, we're working out the kind of the rules, that's what science does. It generates rules based on evidence. But I'll have to say to my uh, students in supervision, don't believe a word of this. Because you can, you can, the mind will go and claim everything. I mean, it'll tell you things yeah. like, oh, I know how to fall in love. Oh, really? Okay, go love that person over there. You know, to the point that, you know, they're, you know, you can't do that on purpose. You know, it doesn't come that way, but your mind doesn't know that. I mean, you take the simplest little things. Um, how many times do you think uh, children fell down before they learned how to walk? A lot. I'm still it's, falling down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever have a rehab problem, you'll find that it's hard to do because, you know, people in rehab, they need those bars for reasons. Part of it is they don't want to fall down, but part of it is they want the reassurance that they won't, and they literally will yell at their legs to move and so forth. Of course, their legs don't have ears, but you know, babies learn to walk by trial and error, and and this is not something we want to do. We don't want to learn by experience. We want to learn by rules, and if you're going to get out of your mind, you have to get out of that problem-solving rule space into this wiser, the whole person space that taps into some of these uh, experiential things that you've learned and that are in the best parts of our cultural traditions. So 
uh, I'd say the single biggest way that people get in their own way, even if they're beginning to make progress by learning what science says is important about how to show up and focus on the right things and move on, is that the the judgmental mode of mind comes in and claims that territory too. And next thing you know, it turns what would be a real solution into yet another form of, um, uh, you know, of dictation from within. And dictators are not fun to live with, even if it's your own. I really like how you said that, that the mind will claim anything. I mean, why would we accept if our eyesight is bad? We don't judge if our eyesight is bad. Right. We just get a new description. Right. But why do we do that with our minds? Why? I mean, it's like. Well, I think it's because it's so useful in so many areas and we've fed it so massively and we've diminished the, the things that used to be in our culture that would help ameliorate it. I mean, you take something like um, it's good for us to learn how to experience uh, distress in a meaningful context and realize that life goes on and we can still persist. You know, and I'll just take a, 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 a religious or spiritual example. Uh, I was raised as a Catholic, and I just hated things like stations of the cross and so forth. You're kneeling. I mean, I'm a kid. I'm going, oh, come on. I don't want to go do that, Mom, etc. And my mother would say, offer it up, dear. Offer it up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, where is that in the culture? I mean, even in our some of our spiritual traditions that we've eliminated anything it's hard you know we're playing guitar and singing kumbaya but which is fine but what about fasting what about you know deliberately putting yourself in a place where small amounts of distress are experienced in a context of something that's meaningful because guess what life is life's gonna include distress if you you know as i say you know everybody gets old if you live long enough i just turned 70 and and there it is you begin to lose some function. You begin to experience some pain. You begin to, well, uh, welcome to living. And, you know, it's not just that earlier. You've had betrayals. You know, people have lied to you. They preferred other people over you, etc. That's hurtful, and, and that memory will never go away. How do you carry those small amounts of distress, or maybe in large amounts of distress, you know, people who've really been treated horribly, have been abused and things of that kind and still be able to move your attention towards what you deeply care about. You know, you're going to have to find a way to connect into a, a, a mode of mind that sort of takes a step back, looks at the whole of it, accepts what can't be changed and changes what can, you know, 12 step prayer. And that, uh, is is there for you even in physical pain? You know, if you have single area where act is the most powerful of the 250 randomized trials. Uh, if you want to get, don't get me started, geek science. But there's a lot of studies there. Single most powerful one is chronic pain, and chronic pain, the opiate crisis, etc., is soaring. Where in the developed countries, the, precisely the ones with all of these things in there to help people, etc., because we've given this toxic message that any amount of physical pain has to be hammered down to zero or there's something wrong. 
that's not true. Your grandparents were like hobbling around through the fields, still plowing well, things and so forth. I ask you about like with Facebook and, and, you know, maybe your next book could be about that and not just Facebook, but social media. Yeah. And, uh, the people who developed all these. Uh, so, you know, they're actually coming out against it now. The people who actually see the way that uh, it's like a, like a monster or, or runaway train, you know, they didn't intend. Uh, and there's research saying that it makes you feel bad about yourself and sure. uh, pain in your life forget it. The one who says, uh, you know, they call that a humble brag, you know, oh, I'm so happy what happened to me today and my beautiful children. You know, nobody actually would mention pain like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Mean, they do. But it's um, do, I, do you think you want to write a book like that? <laughs> well, actually, this uh, one coming out in August is a little bit like that. But no, there's the, you know, we're comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And you know, I think the Facebookization of the world and so forth will ultimately land well when we figured out how to do it. But the initial one was kind of uh, a kind of a, a benefit and not, and and it's part of I think why our young people are struggling so much because they can see this comparative thing where apparently everybody else is doing great and just look at their photos and go to Instagram. Ooh, well, that's just wonderful. This is great. Yeah, but that's their outsides. Is there anybody that you know, anyone where you know their insides, where those smiley face pictures, you know, the practically a smiley face yeah. button is a true reflection of the complexity of their life? I don't know anybody. And so, but then you know the inside deeply yourself. So you not only are doing, uh, being exposed to a lot of pain, being encouraged to avoid the right beer, the right some product, the right, you know, place, the right car. Um, you not only have that and this constant flow of judgment, you've also got comparison. And, you know, no matter how well you're doing, somebody else is doing better. You can just look. You can see the gold-plated doorknobs and the, so you know, the toilet seat that's getting up. Come so, yeah. so the main thing is the acceptance and the commitment uh, yeah. in therapy. So we got the acceptance down. So commitment, is that just the, you know, the commitment to accepting yourself as you are? Or where does the commitment come from? No, that has a piece of it. And the acceptance piece isn't tolerance resignation. It's the, it's the original meaning of the word was to receive as if to receive a gift. And it's in English only a little bit. You know, like if we give a gift to somebody, you say, here, will you accept this? You don't mean will you tolerate this or resign yourself to it. You, you mean, will you embrace it? And so that acceptance piece is step one. But step two, I mean, that is not an end in itself. That's a means to get to what truly matters. And the commitment part is being committed to a values-based life, of building larger and larger habits of values-based action. So that even when you're not watching, life is unfolding well. As I said to folks, you know, we want mindlessness to work for you because I don't know anybody who's mindful all the time. And the way you do that is you create habits. So even when you're not looking, you're doing loving things. Even when you're not looking, you're treating people kindly. Or that you're, you're uh, you know, putting in your life the things that you want in areas like, you know, beauty, contribution, cooperation. Uh, these very human values that we have. So ACT includes a number of ways of exploring your values. And and by values, I don't just mean a list somebody else gives you. It's fine if you've been socialized, but you know you have to own it. You have to choose it. 
I mean, that's in all of our faith traditions. It's up to you to do that. And so what do you want to be about? If you look at the person in the mirror, you know, really what is of importance to you? Is it applause? Is it money? Is it power? Or is it something that's more immediately accessible to you, which is standing for something, caring about something, moving towards something, supporting others and doing that? You build your life around that, and you have a, a different kind of happiness that isn't happy, happy, joy, joy, smiley face button from morning to night, which frankly, it doesn't lead to a good life. We all know that. But a form of help, happiness that's more like what the Greeks called eudaimonia, which is living a values-based life. And that's the commitment part, is being commit, committed to the caring that you want to put into your life journey and doing that with actual behavior. You, of course, you'll slip. Of course, you'll fall. You're not going to always do it. But over, you know, one step at a time, dude, a little better, a little better, a little better. Can I create values-based habits of living? I like that because, you know, um, I can confide in you. Okay. So I was in the slow class in school. Okay. <laughs> so this isn't a big, you know, I'm not going to tell you everything, but I wish in, in growing up, I wish people, whether you're a kid or an adult, I wish people would appreciate more, like in other words, instead of appreciating how to learn, there was a tremendous amounts of pain and stress and discomfort and trying to, to be something other than what I was. So yeah. in other words, uh, if people could just learn to appreciate life, to appreciate yeah. other people, you know, and to learn how to go at a pace that is healthy for them, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't care if it's, uh, we encompass social media where everyone's running at a certain pace to be able to get that next comment or the next tweet out, whatever, but go at a pace that is right for you, where you feel healthy about life and other people. And it just seems like the payoff isn't really worth it, much like you said of what it can do to you as a, an individual if you don't observe, you know, how you're doing it. It's kind of like going down the highway. You didn't realize you were going 80 miles an hour until the cop pulled you over. Your book, uh, of course, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, the new acceptance and commitment therapy can help people appreciate what makes them unique, go at their own pace, and with you know, accept themselves and and uh, and also life experience and and I don't know was that a, was that a fair assessment? No, that's right on. It's it's ab that's absolutely right on. And, and yeah, if we can. And by the way, you know, this book I, I mean has been tested in randomized trials, so it isn't just that we know that what's inside it is based on science. We've actually shown that if people read it, you do have to read it. Don't just put it under your pillow. If you actually do what's inside it that it, it produces about a half or two thirds of what you'd get even from face-to-face -face therapy. We've shown that even with people who have some pretty significant uh, struggles, teachers, for example, with walking around with uh, depression scores that are about the same as what people in inpatient treatment have. So wow. there's something in these processes that can be powerful for people if they are willing to walk through them. And they're very much in line that, with the spirit of what you're, you're talking about of, of, you know, being okay with who you are, not in this kind of thing that my behavior's okay, the situation's okay. No, no, those can all change. But what's not up at stake is your right to be here as a whole valid human being. Mm -hmm. That's a birthright. That you, you know, you you didn't have to earn that. That that comes with human consciousness. And we rely so much on other people's assessment, though. 
of ourselves, you know? And I think that, is that where the, the scales are kind of thrown off, you know, instead of like all this uh, obviously is about learning in the end to accept yourself, not like, Hey, I got to fight to get my uh, mother's um, acceptance or my dad's acceptance or, you know, that guy. Uh, and it, I guess eventually we reach that place where you just accept yourself. You accept other people, experiences, and of course your book shows us how to do it. Let me ask you now, so, um, you know, we <laughs> sure. spent a lot of time on, on that book, but of course, uh, and, and it, we should because it's a groundbreaking book and people should go out and, uh, and buy it, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life by Dr. Stephen C. Hayes. And, but you also have another book, Act for Clergy and Pastoral Counselors Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Bridge Psychological and Spiritual Care because we have a lot of people in the audience, they're pastors too, and uh, people in and uh, all over. So um, tell me, so how is this book a little different? Well, what we tried to do is we tried to walk into the spiritual and religious traditions and whether or not, and, and the degree to which these processes I'm talking about are re- reflected in scripture and in our uh, traditions. And we, we uh, uh, did it across different kinds of religious traditions and with people who are really expert in it. And there it is over and over and over again. I mean, our spiritual and religious traditions were there first. The shrinks came second. But we can help out. I mean, there's, the science can, can contribute. And what it allows us to do is to see to the essence uh, uh, of it and, and to be able to use this deliberately. So, for example, when the, the uh, chaplains in the U.S. military around the world met, to decide what are we going to do with evidence-based care? They actually got a memo from the the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's literally it kind of makes you chuckle to the head of the chaplaincy in military services saying, "Can you explain how what you do is evidence-based?" You know, I'm thinking, you know, God, could you take a little self-report here so that we can make, you know? <laughs> but what they meant was, what they meant was, is here's this movement towards evidence-based, personalized medicines, personalized care. It only makes sense. Science is a, one of our great inventions as, as human beings. But here we also have these uh, soldiers who will go to their chaplain far more readily than they're going to go to the shrink because they go on a list. You're then worried about what that to do to your career. And so the chaplains need to know how to interface with the therapists and with the resources that are there. And the chaplains picked three things. They went through a review process, motivational interviewing, problem solving, and act. And so if you're in the chaplaincy, you have access to uh, uh, training uh, in act and uh, 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 Jason Nuesma and uh, Robin Walzer and myself, all the editors of that book, did a whole series of tapes that are available and uh, as part of a program that the military set up. And uh, and I, I think that's just kind of cool that can we get the scientists and the spiritual leaders working together and kind of taking advantage of what we learn over time when we try to look at some of these uh, issues from a scientific point of view. So what the book does is it kind of walks through these different processes, show there's their scriptural basis in Judeo-Christian tradition. It's not just that. It's it's there in uh, all the Abrahamic religions, of course, Islam, but it's there also in, uh, you know, Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and 
And there's the rise of the nuns. There's a lot of people who are none of the above nowadays. It's the largest single group now, right, 25%. The rise of the nuns. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, but you know that the, that phrase, you know, when none of the above used to only be about 2 or 3% of the population, it's now up to 25%. And yet about um, 90, 95% of them say that spirituality is important. And, you know, that shouldn't be just poo-pooed. You need to walk inside what they mean by that. So mm-hmm. in the book, we try to walk into the science of spiritual experiences, transformational experiences. How does that work? I like that you did that. I don't mean to interrupt, but I was gonna, just going to say that, you know, I, I think that people tend to pit one against the other. And, oh, and so I love the fact that you did this because, and people say, hey, you know, uh, forget about the biblical counseling. You really need real counseling, they might say. You need to go with a secular counselor. You know, you need to get that book, get out of your mind and into your life. And then, but you, <laughs> you didn't uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're saying, hey, now this is a very important part of you, your culture. This is a part of you, uh, the family as an individual and don't throw away the spiritual experience. No, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's critical that we not. And we need to, you know, be Catholic with a small C. We need to figure out a way to, you know, open up that door to everybody, really. And, but the, our spiritual leaders are really an important part of that. And people who are suffering go there first. And in some communities, you know, in a very dominant way, you know, their pastor is the person who's going to be the one who may move them one way or another. And so by helping to see that there are, are biblical bases, a scriptural basis for things that science is showing is helpful, we can come in and into kind of a partnership and alliance here and not this kind of silly, uh, you know, yet another division, which is the last thing that we need in the planet. Frankly, we've got plenty of that. and. Uh, clergy, so, they need this book. Trust me, they need they need this book. Act for clergy and pastoral counselors using acceptance and commitment therapy to uh, bridge psychological and spiritual care because a lot of them aren't equipped. You know, I mean, they give the sermons and they're they're just trying to keep the church afloat. And you're right, people will turn to them thinking they are experts. And uh, truth be told, you know, they need a lot of help when it comes to counseling. And your book certainly will help them. Well, and some of the things, I mean, people can, we've done uh, research on, on this as well. Uh, can I give you an ex- example of one that I think most uh, religious traditions would look, look at uh, uh, as a sinful activity and what happened when we intervened on it? We did, we've one of the few folks who've dealt with uh, excessive pornography viewing, you know, which is everywhere. And it turns out that you can feed it and actually have more of that if people slip into uh, scrupulosity. And so, what does that mean? It becomes, <laughs> you know, it becomes almost an obsessive thing. Yeah. You know, inside my religion, I know this is wrong. I know this, but I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking about it all the time. It's like thinking about a Twinkie in the refrigerator. You know, the next thing you know, the refrigerator is opening. And so, what we do instead is help people to show up, be kinder with themselves. You know, sexuality is a normal kind of uh, human emotion and stuff. And, but then focus on their values, move their attention towards that. What happens? That viewing goes way down. And so, you know, you have to be careful because, of course, somebody would, would go, let's say, who's caught up in a you know, way excessive uh, 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 kind of a thing around pornography. They're going to go to their 
religious leaders. And if what they get is a wagging finger, mm-hmm. you know, you may be feeding the process where this dude is spending like way more time doing it. Send him over and the house. Can we, can we take the wisdom that's in our, our scriptural traditions and the wisdom that's in our science traditions and marry them up? Uh, I was part of a, a, a just a, a second part of a process that Sir, Sir John Templeton, the Templeton Foundation, has really been an important ally in trying to make this harmony work. He has a concept he called, he's dead now, but he called a humble religion, which means that we have to be constantly looking at science and updating exactly how we present this message based on the best available evidence. And we looked at the science of religious and spiritual practice in almost every area. As long as you don't get too wrapped around the idea of a condemning God, that's a little glitch in it. But almost every area, people's uh, religious and spiritual practices predicted positive outcomes in substance abuse and in you know mental health problems and surviving physical operations and and on and on it goes. It was one of the most powerful variables we could find in in the literature predicting positive uh, outcomes. And so we and, and it turns out by the way. It's not the dogma. It's not the belief. It's the practice. Mm. You know, participating in practices like prayer, contemplation, things of that kind. Well, that message can be can be put hand in glove uh, with uh, what we're finding on the science side of things. And I, I one thing I can say to pastors uh, who are considering it, this book gives you a lot of interesting angles for your uh, homilies and so forth. Uh, it'll be a lot easier to write them because you can, <laughs> you can dial in to things that, and, and say some things that are a little different. People haven't heard before. And yet it's right there. It's right there in the, in the traditions that you, you know, you, you bring it out and, and help people apply. Uh, I like that. It goes deep into the emotions, you know, and getting people because it's true. It's it's uh, obviously the material itself is important, uh, you know, in the Bible, of course. But uh, as far as the message and getting the message out, yeah, who knew that act for clergy and pastoral counsel is good for sermon writing as well. <laughs> There's actually a kind of a little group of folks who. Uh, pass their sermon, you know, get good ideas back and forth and so forth. Some people are, are beginning to um, play, play around with this uh, connection and finding it very useful to them. And of course, then the knock on the door comes and you have somebody who's really suffering uh, with you and, and, you know, you can direct that life in a different direction, of course, based on what you do people, there. So, you have to meet people where they are. I mean, really, yeah. I think, I think what you're saying, if I may, you know, a lot of times uh, people, hit people over the head with the Bible or whatever spiritual book if, you know, if they're from a different religion instead of really meeting them emotionally and spiritually where they are. And that's yes. really where the uh, acceptance comes in. And, and, and I think that's, that's the learning uh, moment or the gap for many people in ministry that they just don't have that. Well, I'll do a, I give them a little seven part uh, kind of uh, course, a mini course and act that may give you enough to decide whether or not you want to buy those books. Not that that expensive, but uh, so if you go to stephenchays.com, Stephen the V, middle of C-H-A-Y-E-S, stephenchays.com, I'll send you that. I don't sell to the, the list. Maybe someday I will, but I, I, you know, but I just sort of share ideas and so forth. But that little mini course is a, on an autoresponder. So when you, if you're willing to give me your email, I'm willing to give you that uh, 
sequence of uh, emails, one a week, that'll kind of walk you through it and enough that you can make a decision yourself. And uh, if I ever do start selling, you can opt out uh, immediately. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to help and, uh, uh, you know, take these processes that we know can transform and human they work. lives. They absolutely work. And they absolutely, people should get it. I mean, from 1992, you were listed here, Institute for Scientific Information is the 30th highest impact psychologist in the world. And so uh, people ought to get your books. Once again, uh, learn step-by-step how mindfulness and acceptance can help you overcome depression, transform emotional pain, free yourself from negative thinking and self-judgment, commit to what you care about, and live a life you value. Nobody wants to be stuck. So get out of your mind and into your life. The new Acceptance and Commitment uh, Therapy by Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, also Act for Clergy and Pastoral Counselors. We really enjoyed having you. We, we definitely want you on again, okay, especially when awesome. the new book comes out. But Thank you so much for being on the program. I had a blast. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission. To make you sound your best, thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.